it's the 29th day of April and I am excited to continue my lessons from the book Atomic Habits. You know, yesterday I spoke about um, the three levels of change, outcomes, processes and identity. And I said about the feedback loop between processes and identity. You know, if you want to change who you are, you just need to change what you do consistently over time, right? And the idea is that what you do consistently over time begins to form who you are and who you are drives what you do over time. Uh, it's a very interesting um, concept. Today, I'm going to be talking about um, how habits are actually formed, right? And what habits really are. I'll start by this um, I'll say quote by Jason Reha. Um, he's a famous um, contributor to the field of psychology. And he says that simply habits are a reliable solution to recurring problems in our environment. Right? And so habit is an action that has been repeated enough times to make it automatic. And what this means is that whenever we as humans face a problem, a new challenge, the brain begins to check, look. In the environment and um, you know our past learnings it just begins to explore ways it can solve this problem right and so there's a lot of trial and error in this um, in this uh, process once the brain finds a way a method to solve that problem it begins to immediately eliminate all the trial and error it had formerly done and just form this particular series of steps that go straight to solving that problem right and so once this has been established it begins to um automate this process it becomes kind of automatic so that the brain doesn't have to now rethink a way to solve this problem when next it presents itself it just immediately picks up the the solution it had previously um you know the solution it had previously um come up with to solve that problem let me take that again when the brain faces a new problem, it finds out ways to hack the solution and just go straight to the solution. And once it finds that, every other trial and error it had done previously, it kind of tosses that away and stores the method to solving the problem. So anytime you are faced with that problem the next time, instead of having to consciously think about it, the brain just form and brings up a series of steps, which is what we call a habit right now the thing with habits is that um well let's talk about the brain the brain actually has a finite um ability to be conscious to consciously work on something so the conscious mind is quite finite you can generally just work on one thing at a time right and so the brain's solution to that is to really automate so many other processes so that you can free up your conscious mind to focus on new exciting challenges right and that's why sometimes people are driving for miles and they don't remember the act of driving they're just driving on autopilot right the brain has already um you know automated so many processes and so many steps so that they don't have to actually actively think about driving right and so that's the bottleneck of the brain the conscious mind and some people say that um, when you now fall into routines or when you begin to create habits and processes for yourself, 
it makes life boring and then um, you're, you're not free. You're just bound to a certain way of doing things. Now, this is not actually a very correct notion because on the contrary, having a routine and having built habits actually creates more freedom for you because you don't have to now think of every single decision, right? We've heard of all these top CEOs who have um, a fixed outfit that they have, like they are always on either a brown top and black shorts or jeans or the president, Obama, who has um, his fixed um, suit colors that he wears at all times. And so they don't have to consciously think about what am I going to wear, right? That creates freedom for them in their minds and just relieves them of the cognitive load of having to decide on smaller tasks and really focus on more high um, profile um, matters, right? And so James was telling us about four steps to build and habit. And the first one is the cue, the next is the craving, the third is response, and the fourth is reward. And this model, of course, as we mentioned um, about three days back, is um, something that is not new to the field of psychology. Many people have described it in other ways. One thing that has been different um, about these previous definitions or descriptions of this uh, habit forming process is that they focused on external stimuli or external rewards as the drivers of habits. But James is here telling us that there's also a focus that should be put on the internal and the intrinsic um, stimuli, right? And so what is the cue? The cue is when you get an awareness of a possible reward, right? You remember I said earlier that when the brain, um, the brain is constantly searching and looking for new ways to solve a particular problem right and so in this process you get the cue like you get the cue of what can be a possible solution you get um ideas around okay what can bring me some sort of reward that's the cue right and then we move to the craving which is where you now develop a motivation a desire to follow up on that cue to achieve the reward Right. And this is where, um, so I'll give an illustration. So a person gets into a dark room and then he wants to see, he wants to be able to see around, right? Um, the cue is the darkness and the idea of being able to move around, right? Without hitting your leg or anything. The craving is the desire to turn on lights. You're craving lights, you want to be able to see, right? And then we move on to the response. The response is what you do or think towards getting that reward. And so in this case of the person going to the dark room, the, the response will be to flip the switch, right? To turn on the light. Uh, and then we move to the reward, which is um, the satisfaction of your desire or the thing that um, you really wanted to achieve in the first place. And once the light comes on in the house, that is the reward. So we move from a cue, craving, response, and reward. Um, and so this is how habits are formed. And generally, um, one thing to note is that cues are meaningless unless they are interpreted. What I mean by this is that you might have a cue and for someone, it means one thing. For another person, it means almost nothing, right? So for a gambler now, a professional gambler, just hearing the 
um, the sounds of the casino in the casino hall, right, can trigger that desire that he wants to um, play a game. But for somebody who doesn't even has never been to a casino, that sound doesn't make a difference to him. He's like, what, why are you making noise? Do you get what I mean? And so um, we can divide this habit forming process into two phases. You have the problem phase and the solution phase. So the problem is when you have the cue and you have that craving. The solution is how you solve the problem, which is um, your response and of course the reward. Yeah. And um, one thing to know is that um, rewards actually teach us to, I mean, there are two reasons why we pursue rewards. The first is that we want to satisfy our craving. And the second is that we want to learn. It teaches us what we need to do for next time to satisfy the craving. You understand? And um, so James begins to tell us about four laws of behavioral change based on the four steps to forming a habit. And so to create a new habit in your life, right? The first thing is based on the cue, you want to make the habit obvious or visible. For craving, you want to make it attractive. For response, you want to make it easy. And for reward, you have you want to make it satisfying. And let's take an example. Let's say a person wants to um, develop a healthy um, eating habit, right? You want to begin to eat healthy, right? So for the cue, you want to make it obvious your um, healthy eating choices, right? And so you want to probably leave fruits around. Um, in visible places where you can see them easily right you want to make it something um you want to work on the craving and so you want to buy your best fruits right the fruits you love the most right you, like for example if you don't really like apples but you love bananas right and if you're trying to start eating more fruits you don't go get in apples and put in your house you don't like apples so you will not eat it right but if you put bananas right and then you put it next to what now um a picture of a banana smoothie or put it next to your blender right your desire to actually make a smoothie of the banana or to just eat the banana will be heightened because you have made it attractive and desirable right and then the response is to make it easy right so you want to probably get the sort of um easy way to always get bananas in your house maybe you you order you set up um, a monthly um, supply of fresh bananas to your house so that you don't have the excuse of oh i have to go to the store and i have to go looking for fresh bananas no you just set up set up an amazon order or food delivery order to supply you per week with um fresh bananas you know and then you want to make it satisfying you want to make sure that you actually relish in eating those fresh bananas uh, or maybe making a smoothie or i don't know you could even go as far as um, taking pictures of your freshly made banana smoothie or then anything that just makes it very exciting and satisfying to have it and before long you will find out that eating healthy eating fruits becomes a habit like you do it consistently without even having to actively think about wanting to eat fruits right and um and so james tells us that if you now also want to stop 
a bad habit. You just have to invert that process. And so um, for the cue, you want to make it invisible or hidden, right? And for the craving, you want to make it unattractive. For the response, you want to make it difficult. And for the reward, you want to make it unsatisfying. So generally, just do the opposite of what you would do if you wanted to create a new habit. Um, I think this makes a lot of sense. And um, James goes on to tell us that the beginning of behavior change is self-awareness. So many times we do things on autopilot. We don't even realize that we're doing certain things. So for example, maybe somebody who always covers her mouth when she's laughing. Like she doesn't know she's doing it. Like she's already finished laughing before realizing that she covers her mouth every time she wants to laugh, right? And so if you want to change that habit, the first thing is to actually become self-aware that this is what I do all the time. I like this quote by Carl Jung, that's, oh, I think Carl Jung, <laughs> that's how it's pronounced. Um, this quote by Carl Jung that says that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. That's so true, right? Many people believe that they're just so unlucky and they're just um, victims of um, whatever, nature or anything, right? But the point is that they've just had unconscious habits that they continually um, practice, but they are not aware that they're doing those things. And so their lives are just stared in a particular direction and it feels like as if they have no control or they don't have power over it, right? Um, so James tells us of a very effective method that is adopted by the Japanese, um, especially um, Japanese um, train operators. And so it's called pointing and calling. And so basically what they do is that um, they point to and call out every next action that is going to occur on the train. For example, when the light signals green and the train is about to move, they point at it and say that the train is the, the signal is green and the doors are about to open. And you know, they just generally point and call um, things. And the idea behind this is that you want to make your unconscious actions. You want to raise them to a point of consciousness where you use bodily gestures and verbalizing etc to become aware of what you're doing right and so this is something you can apply in your life in that for example um just as you're about to go on youtube and watch videos you verbalize that's okay so now i'm about to go on youtube to watch some videos and whether it contributes to your ultimate goal or not whether it serves you or not you also mention that so that way you become conscious of the fact that ah right i'm about to do this and even though you do it initially at least you are more aware of the impact of doing it right and so this is what um, pointing and calling really does um so i'll give another illustration let's say you're beginning to feel bored and then you just want to netflix and chill meanwhile you should be reading um, your book it's one way you can um, really just become aware is that you begin to say that, okay, I think I'm feeling bored and I'm about to go watch Netflix and chill. And um, I have an exam coming up in two weeks and this is definitely not going to serve me, but I want to do it anyway. So just that mindfulness that um, you're going to Netflix and chill when you should be reading is enough to begin to make those small changes and small adjustments that will begin to move you towards, okay, well, Okay, let me not do that. Let me read. Let me actually read my book. And before you know what's happening, you begin to 
break a bad habit and begin to build better and newer habits. He also speaks about um, the habit scorecard where you just become aware of all the things you do and you write them down and put a plus by besides actions that serve you, the negative besides actions that do not serve you and put an equal sign besides actions that are just neutral. And so let's say you wake up early in the morning and then you say wake up, um, pick up phone, brush my teeth, floss, um, check my weight, grab a cup of coffee. So you just like list out all the things you do in the morning. And then let's say beside wake up, it's a neutral activity, you put equals to. Beside pick up phone, it's not a very healthy activity. And so you put a negative. Um, check my weights is quite good um, activity. You put a plus beside it. Um, floss my teeth is a good activity. You put plus beside it, etc. Now, he also highlights something that um, activities might not necessarily be good or bad sometimes, but it just depends on whether they serve you or not. So the person you are trying to become, this activity you are taking, does it contribute to becoming that kind of person? So, um, for example, a person who is trying to lose weight, eating um, bagels in the morning might be a bad activity. A person who is trying to build muscles and um, buffer, that might be a good activity. So you just need to um, evaluate it based on whether it's effective or it is not effective to you. So yeah, this was some of my thoughts um, so far um, and lessons from reading The Atomic Habits by James Clare. Once again, I think it's a very fantastic book and it's really helpful. You should get a copy and read it. So keep reading, keep learning and keep being a better version of yourself. I'll be here again tomorrow to share what I've learned from this book. All right, have a nice day.